Morning, church family. Thank you all for inviting me here today. These are times we're living in, aren't they? Times such as, let me see, I'm 71 now. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to share this earth. And I haven't seen anything like what is going on today. Our religious freedoms are slowly eroding away. Our freedoms to worship in peace, to live as we choose. Even our government, which we put trust in, we cannot trust them anymore. Let us pause for a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, your Son's holy name, we bring up before you our prayers, our supplications, Heavenly Father. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us this sanctuary, Heavenly Father, your sanctuary. We ask that you please give us an ample supply of the Holy Spirit. Open our hearts, open our minds to the message. Let the words I speak not be my own, but yours, Heavenly Father. Stand me up, for I cannot stand on my own. Lord, we thank you. In your Son's holy name, amen. The name of this study today is Revelation. John alive from the island of Patmos. And as the scriptural reading But for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And we shall look at what the word revelation means. Something revealed or shown to us. There is a suggestion by many who claim that the understanding of this book is impossible. This is not true at all. The Webster's Dictionary makes it very clear. Revelation. Noun in the Latin, revelatus, revealo, also see reveal. It is the act of disclosing or discovering to others what was before unknown to them. Appropriately, the disclosure or communication of truth to men by God himself or by his authorized agents, the prophets and apostles. Revelations 1, 1 to 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signify it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. It was Jesus Christ himself who came to John on Patmos in and around 95 A.D. Sixty-five plus years had passed since the crucifixion when Christ made his appearance to his old friend and disciple. With the help of angels, John was told to write the message down for us. It also tells those things which were to happen soon, We know that the messages in Revelation began before John passed. 
while he was still alive. Revelation, third angel, 14, Revelations 14, 9 to 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image, and receive the mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now correct me if I am wrong, but any situation that would cause the God of love to give a warning like this must be taken seriously. I urge you not to rest until you understand what is involved, because the time is upon us. It is a most stern and solemn warning. It is the most stern and solemn warning in the entire Bible. It is serious and all people should be interested in what it means because it affects us all. It is most interesting at one time or another, especially during the great evangelistic movement of the 1800s. And my grandmother told me that it was incredible that through those 1800s, the mid through the late 1800s, there was an incredible and evangelistic movement. You've heard of tent meetings, haven't you? You've heard of camps, right? Where you go in and you study the word. She said it was amazing. Amazing. And if you look in your hymnals, most of those hymns were written when? During the 1800s. I don't think there's, there's very few hymns that were written not in the 1800s. It's amazing. But that time, Catholic priests, Baptist ministers, in every denomination, someone rose to proclaim that Sunday was not the biblical Sabbath. Councils were held. Debates were called. And in each and every case, although some individuals chose to keep the Sabbath, almost everybody went back to their tradition. The Lord's walk, we know, is not an easy one. But when you really know God and his promises, you will see that he will neither leave you or forsake you that he will take good care of all who choose to obey him. The beast power will not stand, will not be able to overcome all who trust and obey, just as the song says. Remember, the beast power is not able to save anybody. It can't even save itself. The Bible tells us it will be totally destroyed. Choosing today to place your trust in manpower is to leave yourself blind and naked with no help at all. Only lovers of the truth who are willing to obey it will understand God's word correctly. Let's go to Revelation 14, 12 to 13. 
Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice say from heaven, saying unto me, that being John, writes, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Ye saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And here is a special blessing pronounced on those who are choosing to live in the faith of the three angels' messages. They will be raised before Jesus comes and see his coming. Christians need never fear death, but especially those who have accepted this end-time message and choose to obey it. To them, death will be like taking a nap when you're tired, when you're weary. Thus, after your work is finished, you will rest and then wake up to enjoy the fruits of your labors. Let's talk a little bit about John. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, John thirteen twenty three. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Again at the crucifixion, John nineteen twenty six. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. At the resurrection, John 22. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Jesus when appearing by the lake of Galilee in John 21, 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girts his fisher's coat about him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Now that's in that there, there's a whole nother sermon that could be taught. John 21, 20 to 24. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will, if I will that he tarries until I come, what is that to thee? Follow me. Thou went then went this saying abroad among the brethren that his disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Brother John on Patmos, Revelations 1.9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. And for what reason was he there? To take the word of God for the testimony of Jesus Christ. To write it down. That was his purpose. That was why God placed him there. How did John, the dear old man who loved Jesus so much and taught people about his love, come to be on that rocky, rough island where the Romans sent their most wanted, deadly criminals? How did he get there? 
It was the 14th year of the Roman emperor Domitian's reign, and he was trying to hard, he was trying very hard to get rid of the pesky Christians. He wanted to catch John, for he believed John to be the instigator of all his troubles. And the, he was also the last of Jesus' disciples. He thought that if he could kill John in a most horrible, horrible fashion, this would scare the Christians enough to make them stop talking about Jesus and obey the emperor's rule of law. Domitian sent soldiers, caught the old man, and threw him into prison. Then the emperor thought about, what could, he, what could I do to really scare the, these Christians? Hmm, let me see. Did you ever hear French fries? I think that I will take this old man, I will boil him in oil. This should take care of that problem. They tossed dear old John to that pot of boiling oil. But he didn't fry. He didn't sizzle. He wasn't even harmed. Just like the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, he was quite safe there in that pot of boiling oil until the soldiers took him out. They did not know what to do with this old man. So what did they do? They shipped him off to Patmos. They thought he would just die there. But lo and behold, God had a different plan. Jesus came there to visit him and gave him a new task. That task was to write Revelation. But God wasn't done with John yet. Okay, he didn't die there on, the, on that island. John had probably thought that this task would be his last. But God had other ideas. That evil emperor Domitian, he died, passed away, and his successor set John free. And where did he go? He went to Ephesus. John went to Ephesus where he wrote the wonderful gospel book of John. In it, he tells the story of Jesus giving us special information not found in any of the other Gospels. So when you think that your time is over, stop thinking. Because God just might have other plans for you. Is that an amen? amen. Let's talk about the Lord's Day. It was Sabbath day and John had gone off alone to worship the good Lord in nature. As he sat there thinking and pondering upon spiritual matters and praying, he was given a vision. That is what he means when he says, I was in the Spirit. Revelations 1, 10 to 13. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. Send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamo, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks representing the seven churches. And in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, 
proclaiming that he will always be among them, clothed with a garment, righteousness, down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. One of the most interesting things about prophecy is that you must use the Bible to tell you what the Bible means. Never guess or put your own words in there. When hearing the spoken words, always refer to the Bible. Take the Berean stance on all things scriptural, sola scriptura, Bible and Bible only. Question is what the person who is speaking match what the Bible tells you. Am I? You must question me. I'm only human. Is that what that Bachman is saying? Is that truth? You've got to question me. Take me to the task. Take me to the task. Some people try to tell us that when John said the Lord's Day, he meant Sunday. Can you imagine? Where did that come from? Hmm. There is nowhere in the Bible that Sunday is called the Lord's Day. In fact, Sunday is never called anything at all in the Bible except the first day of the week. The first day. But the Bible does have a day it calls the Lord's Day. It is the seventh day Sabbath. Mark 2.28 Therefore the Son of Man, who is that? Jesus is Lord also of the Sabbath. Also of the Sabbath. I love the book of John because it speaks plainly. I'm a pretty uneducated man. So I like, I'm not saying that John was uneducated. He had the Holy Spirit going for him. That's all you need. John was a plain and simple fisherman, and once he met the Lord and Savior, what did he become? He he became his beloved servant. I will refer now to John chapter 5, because it is one of my favorite chapters, and shows the apostasy and corruption that was prevalent in that day. It also sets the stage for revealing the apostasy that is corrupting the world now, for there is nothing new under the sun. Chapter 5 is where Jesus is rejected by the Sanhedrin and the Judean ministry is ending. The miracle of healing the invalid at the pool of Bethesda segues into the Sanhedrin rejection in John 5:14 and to 16. It was Sabbath when this healing was done. If you were an ardent Sabbath keeper according to one of the Jewish laws at that time, what could happen to you? They could kill you for doing that. John 5.14, afterward, afterward Jesus finds him in the temple, the man that he healed, that is, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you. 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to stay to slay him because he did these things on Sunday. This was on Sunday that this happened, right? Huh? Man, when I said Sunday, you should have jumped up and you should have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on there. That's wrong. 
I'm a Berean and I'm looking and it doesn't say Sunday in here. But you all kept quiet. Until I said it again. Sabado. Huh? Sabado. Sabado. Anyway, it wasn't Sunday. It was Sabbath. I admit it. Okay. As if it was not enough that the Sanhedrin were contemplating murder because of Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, the plot thickens. John five seventeen to 18. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal to God. Jesus then enters into a monologue telling the Sanhedrin all things concerning his relationship with God his Father and all things which God gave Jesus the power and authority to do on earth, such as raising the dead, committing to Jesus' judgment, telling them that they should honor the Son as they honor the Father who sent him, that if they honor Jesus and hear his words and believe on the Father who sent him, they would have everlasting life. Now, if Christ was standing before me and telling me that, I would probably fall to my knees. But did they? John 5.31 If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Jesus goes on to say that there was another who bore witness of him, and that was John the Baptist. But a greater witness revealed Jesus' coming and authority, and that was God himself. By and through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit gave unto the prophets to prophesy. Here in John 5, 37 to 42, Jesus claims to Sanhedrin, Search the scriptures, for in them... You believe ye have eternal life, and they are which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have eternal life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. How do you think they felt? Was Jesus stepping on their toes? Jesus calls out the Sanhedrin that they honor only each other in their greatness, but refuse to honor that which comes from God only. John 5, 45 to 47. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, and Jesus is saying this to them. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had you believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? The status quo of the day was apostasy. The Jewish system had become corrupt. The gold standard for the Jewish hierarchy was not the things of heaven, but the things furthering of power and greed for their own benefit. It was their routine to place a heavy yoke on their own people, judge them to a standard that no human could bear. And Jesus saw the apostasy and called them on it, setting a death sentence for himself. John 11.50 John 11.50 
Caiaphas, the high priest of that day, states, It is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, that the whole nation perish not. And what did they do? Getting back to John the Apostle. John and the Apostles carried the gospel to all the known world at that time and before the last of the Apostles died. They suffered persecution. Many, we know, died for their faith. Their eagerness to obey Jesus' command to carry the word and teach all nations sent to the ends of the earth. There is and was problems within the church. The writings of John and Revelation confirms, but also Revelations 2.7 also gives a promise to those who may overcome in Jesus, and Jesus takes our minds to an Eden restored. The promise is, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now in John's time, just as in our time, a problem arose in the early church of Ephesus. Remember, this was where John retired after his vacation on the Isle of Patmos. They had left their first love, and there had come into the church those who wanted to dictate and tell others what to do. And Paul states, The mystery of iniquity was already at work in his day. They were already starting to look to men and not to Jesus and his word. Jesus warned them to go back to their first love, or he would remove their candlestick and they would cease to be his people. But there's more. Revelations 2.6 But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. For this is where this doctrine came from. This doctrine is still alive today, and you may recognize it. The teachings were of a person called Nicholas. It was said that when Christ died on the cross, all the Ten Commandments were done away with, and it was no longer necessary to keep the law of God. Have you heard of that? The claim is that the gospel of Christ has made the law of God of no effect, that by believing we are released from the necessity of being doers of the word, And now here is the big deal. It is believed that these teachings brought about the idea, and check this out, that the clergy or the ministers were separate from the laity or the people of the church and should have rule or or dominion over them. Which brings me to a point of fact. This concept is as old as paganism, which used the concept in a system to oppress and rob the common people. Jesus says clearly, we are all brethren. No kingly power is to be found among his people. 
Where do we see this? Or where have we seen this? It's still alive today. I think my grandmother told me about this, and that's why everybody fled Europe. Is it not? The oppression of the Romanist system. This is how they formed their doctrines. John's vision, Revelations 13.3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. The deadly wound was given to the papal beast in 1798 when Napoleon's general Berthier marched into Rome and removed the Pope from power and placed him into prison where he eventually died. You must understand that Romanism, the underlying system that is the papacy, rules over the church, rules over the church, but is not the church body itself. For as I'm stepping on toes, I want to make clear that there are plenty of good Christians that go to the Catholic Church. Okay? It is the system that attempts to mirror the sanctity of Jesus for its intent and purpose. The papacy changed the Ten Commandments, made them their own, and changed the time of worship, making it their own, changing the seventh-day Sabbath to when? Sunday. Contending that Sunday is the Lord's day. Remember, we talked about that earlier. Jesus, was, Jesus, oh yeah, Jesus, John was in the vision on what day? The Lord's day. In 476 A.D., Constantine moved the capital from Rome to Constantinople, opening the authoritative seat in Rome. This opened the door for the popery and all the great mystery of iniquity which came into play. Revelation 17.9 And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains upon which the woman, that is papal Rome, sitteth. The Vatican, it is a country in of itself and rides in among and atop those seven hills. When the Dark Ages, the Spanish Inquisition began, it forced the true church to flee Revelations 12.6, And the woman of the true church fled into the wilderness, where she hath a, hath a place prepared of God, where they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. All the power to dictate, all the need for greed was unleashed for the very fact of control. The papacy was very clever in controlling God's most holy writ, the Bible. They were very clever. With it, the Bible, God's words of hope, mercy, and love were used as a weapon. Within the Roman Catholic Church, you were not allowed to read the Bible because you were incapable of its understanding. Only the priest could do that for you. If you needed to confess... Where did you need to go? To the priest. If you needed absolution, where did you go? You went to the church. And who would give the ways and means to forgive by confession? The priest. And what's that called? Blasphemy. And who gave the priest authority to do this? 
the Pope. The so stated, Papacy claimed Vicar of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, Son of God's incarnate on earth. And above all, you were not allowed to print or copy God's holy writ. Just ask Martin Luther and John Wycliffe what happened to them. Heretics, they were called, and a death sentence by the Pope was declared. Today, as in the days of Jesus and the Jewish apostate system, we have before us a new old world dilemma, an unraveling in Christendom. We have the dragon running rampant with spiritualism. The beast is at the door, and that is papal Rome guided by the Pope. And the Protestant churches who have turned apostate are now holding hands with papal Rome. Protestant means to protest, and that was against the tyrannical rule of the Romanist papal system during the Dark Ages. That was when they murdered 50-plus million Christians. Now the USA has formed an alliance with Rome and is no longer Protestant, but apostate. Now that they have conjoined, Satan gets the kings and mighty men of earth duped into believing the performance of his lies, wonders, and miracles. Do you want to be overcomers? Do you want to overcome? Do we want to survive this war? John writes in Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I, that is Jesus, comes as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. Jesus inserts this warning during the time of final events to assure us now is the time that we place upon us the garment of Christ's righteousness before it is too late. Adam and Lee, Adam and Eve were found naked and wanting in the garden. We could also be on our last day standing naked, shameful to the entire universe. In order not to display our shame, we must accept the garment of Jesus' righteousness, and cooperate with him as he works with us to perfect our character to reflect his. You can think, oh, I'm good enough. I'm as good as the next guy. I'm as good as the next guy. And my own good works are good enough to take me to heaven. Friends, you had better think again. For our best is as filthy rags before the throne of God. If we daily do not feel the need to kneel, to kneel before the cross and repent and plead with Jesus to help take the sin out of our own lives and make us pure, then in that last day, whether it be called from our rest or be privileged to see his glorious return, we will be, explo- we will be exposed to all for what we really are. And that's Hypocrites. I don't want to be called that. Can I get an amen? Amen. I hope that this message has added a blessing to your Sabbath day. And I hope that I haven't stepped upon too many toes. May you all be blessed. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, We humbly come before your throne, Heavenly Father. We want to be on that roll when it's called, Heavenly Father. Put Put into all of us your words.
the faith, Heavenly Father, to persevere through these times, Heavenly Father. May we all kneel and die daily at the cross, confessing, asking you to purify us from all sins, Heavenly Father. Be with us through this coming week. Help us to give the message, Heavenly Father, to those that we meet and we greet. Lord, Heavenly Father, be with us. Oh, we pray, Lord, be with us. In your Son's holy name, amen. Amen.